Broadcasting live from the Han River, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my mutated amphibians, Mila and Louisa. In this episode, we're continuing our water eco-horror theme and talking about the 2006 South Korean monster film, The Host, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Taya is unavailable this episode, but she'll be back soon. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. The host begins with an American military pathologist ordering his Korean assistant to dump formaldehyde down a drain leading into the Han River. Years later, we are introduced to a family who own a snack bar in a park by the river. Parkgoers are suddenly attacked by an amphibious monster who indiscriminately slaughters or swallows those in its path. The snack bar owner, Gangdu, watches helplessly as his young daughter, Hyunso, is carried off by the monster. The American military then arrives and quarantines everyone at the scene, telling people that there is a virus and later revealing their plans to release a toxic chemical called Agent Yellow to kill the monster. The family presumes Hyunso to be dead until they receive a call from her explaining that the monster regurgitated her and she is now trapped in a sewer. They spring into action, preparing to battle the Korean government, the American military, the locals, and the monster itself in order to save her. They'll run into the Han River. That's right. Let's just dump them in the Han River. But this isn't just any old toxic chemicals. So you have to... The Han River is very broad, Mr. Kim. Let's try to be broad-minded about this. Hmm? Anyway, that's an order. So, start pouring. Do you guys have any scary stories that take place in the ocean, by the ocean, swimming in the ocean, that rivals the beginning of this film? Wow, you're nodding. You are nodding. Tell us. They do not rival the beginning of this film. You really set a high bar after I started nodding. Well, okay, for context, I am a child of the Midwest, famously. I didn't see the ocean for a really long time. I have traveled lots of places, they just were not by the ocean. And so I never learned to swim in the ocean. I learned to swim in a pool and sometimes a lake. But a lake and a pool have very different physics than the ocean. They're also not salt water. They're also not full of the things that the ocean are full of. And... Namely, there are no tides in any of these places where I swam. But I was a strong swimmer. So when I first got into the ocean, nobody told me the rules of the ocean, right? Maybe these are unwritten rules, but there are rules. Don't turn your back, first of all, to the ocean, I feel like, is one of them. But I learned it later on. Because if the tides are changing and a big wave is coming for you and you're facing the beach side, you're done for it. You're going to get knocked over. It's going to be bad. Don't go out super deep if you're not a confident swimmer. I thought I was a confident swimmer. We'll revisit that. Then there are all sorts of creepy creatures in the ocean I was unfamiliar with. Jellyfish being one of them. I almost stepped on them lots of times because they are clear, like a plastic bag. There are little crabby pincers. There are also sharks now at New York beaches. I'm sure there were always sharks in that ocean, but they're getting closer and closer to the beach. So there's an app for that. You can check where the sharks are. 
so I, I guess I'm glad for that technology. All this to say, I was not prepared for ocean swimming, but I thought I was way more prepared. This was in Goa, so it was in the Indian Ocean, which I don't know how that compares to other oceans, saltiness-wise, depth, strength of tide. Um, I straight up almost drowned. Got knocked off my feet almost immediately. Um, I was like, you know when the tide just like gets you and it just like drags you in a direction like along the coastline, like it'll whatever direction it's going, you'll just like go with it. And so if your towel is like on one part of the beach, if you get like sucked, you'll like whatever, tumble around and like bring your head up and you're like a whole other part of the ocean, a whole other part of the beach. And it's salty and it's bad. And I was choking and gagging and having a really terrible time in the riptide. And nobody saved me. And nobody, I was also in a bikini because my mom's friend bullied me. And I had a one piece. And she's like, you're not going to wear a sexy bikini. This is a direct quote. She said, you're not going to wear a sexy bikini. It made me go and buy one. So that shit is just like, it's in all directions. <laughs> Titties everywhere. And it also had a tie on. It had a tie on bottom. Thank God that tie did not come untied. Now I just get knee deep. I don't go much deeper than that. At most, I'll like sit down. I'll like get my shoulders in. But if it's like any deeper than I am tall, the ocean is just not for me. I wasn't built for it. I just hate deep water and I'm, I'm scared of sharks. I'm scared of something chomping me. I can't remember what the word is, but the fear of open water. The lassophobia is the fear of the ocean or large bodies of water. And I, for sure, I think, to be fair, I don't think it's like, I have that. Like, I'm so special. I think everyone has. But I feel that for sure. I, I wouldn't, like, I think we should actually do it for the pod. But that, like, open water, I think it's called open water. That shark movie where they're just, like, stuck in open water treading is one of the most scary. I have a similar story to you, Zeba, but I was very, very little and I was with my mom. Um, But we were in Mexico on the beach and... First of all, I don't think we were like so far out. It doesn't sound like we were as deep as you, but still deep enough. And the current kind of took us way far out from our towel, first of all. Second of all, yeah, big wave came. We were not facing wave. We got knocked over. And I just remember like vividly like what it looked like tumbling, what it felt like tumbling in a wave. And you're so helpless. I couldn't tell you in that moment what's up or down. Like you're so disorientated, which is like really scary. <laughs> and my eyes were open because I was like so sudden. So I like remember sand and waves and whatever and it was it was just a lot of chaos so that was really scary but you respect the ocean just like my risk assessments for the ocean is so numerous i've certainly never had an interaction with an ocean animal that's anything to be concerned with though i know that dolphins are notorious the monstrous feminine is on instagram so please go leave us a comment if you do engage with our content you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our witch of the week this episode, our Witch of the Week, is all our new Insta followers who have been engaging with our re-upload TikTok about Midsummer. That is a classic clip of ours, and we are so delighted that it has found its way to a new audience. I think it's funny that that is a lot of people's introduction to our, our banter. I have mixed feelings about that. A little disclaimer that we don't want you <laughs> to put your period blood in people's food or drinks. I think you probably should. Not. No, no. Yeah, no. go on. Go on. If this is your first episode you're listening to post following us, uh, seeing that reel on Instagram, welcome. 
conversely, if this is the first episode you're listening to and you haven't seen that uh, reel or TikTok or listened to our episode six of season one, our cult horror episode, then you're not going to know what we're talking about and you should go check all of these out to know why we're talking about drinking period blood. But yeah, we are happy that that attracts people (laughs) to the page. I can't decide if it feels representative or not of us. It's a little bit of a bait and switch. And also, like I said, I sound straight in that audio and I'm upset. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all of that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. Mila is a scholar. And Mila wrote about this film for her dissertation. It wasn't the focus of it, but I just like researched Bon Joon-ho's whole filmography. But more importantly, is that this is one of my favorite films. Why is it your favorite film? Big question. <laughs> I love sci-fi films. Um, I also love like big blockbuster genre filmmaking. I'm obsessed with Bon Joon-ho's filmmaking in general, but I just think it's such like a powerful film that balances tragedy and comedy so well. It's something I really like absurdist stories that can be satirical and point fun at human life and human behavior but also like pack a real emotional punch can feel like the Karen intention especially like pacing Bon Joon-ho is just like masterful it's just a great creature feature excellent creature feature I um I was delighted I tend to like when we do South Korean horror episodes I just like that there's so much depth. I do like, I like, oh, I'm a snob. I think I like, you know, you said style over substance with the tentacles, but I I love a substance. <laughs> no way. I'm a substance film. But you get style and substance with Bon Joon-ho. If it wasn't a creature feature, it would not have the fun style that I want. Like, I think that like we are given moments of relief where it's just action and just like kills is part of the fun style it's alluding to like real historical events so the release of agent yellow it's reminiscent of when u.s forces released agent orange which was a herbicide and defoliant and it was released as part of like a warfare program in vietnam and it's also um inspired by when the U.S. Army mortician Albert McFarland dumped formaldehyde into Yongsan Army base in Seoul and then into the Han River as a result. Mila supplied me some academic texts and I thought that some parts of them were, were really interesting. And this particular one was by Joseph Jonghyun Jion in an essay called Neoliberal Forms. I think... One thing I enjoyed reading about was the meaning of a monster and how it's satirizing U.S. military mismanagement and the war on terror specifically. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase what this academic said, but essentially um, they talk about like the tautological meaning of the monster, meaning that like the U.S., for example, to solve like after like 9-11 and solve like, you know, that violence they do it with like more violence they launch a whole war like if we're thinking of like 9-11 as like an attack because of like the how the u.s like destabilized the middle east and their 
response to that was to further attack, like launch a war on Afghanistan and stuff like that. How the US military deploys like one tactic, which is actually just what started it. It's like you're trying to, it's like using the same thing that started the problem to try to solve the problem. And this critic kind of comments on that. And I thought that was really interesting because, of course, yeah, like the whole problem was this mutated fish because of formaldehyde being dumped. And yeah, they solve it by thinking, well, let's just release more toxins. The academic, he talks about relating that specifically to Korean history and that, I mean, post-Korean War, American influence was huge. Like, obviously, there's the army base there, but the way it shaped the film industry in Korea was basically as a way to control it to allow Hollywood to still have like influence and dominate their box office. The way that it was like maintained was basically by encouraging increasingly neoliberal policies, not just the film industry, obviously this is across their economy. Hollywood were dictating, there was a certain quota of how many Korean films had to be shown in the country across cinemas. And Hollywood were always pushing for that to be lowered, lowered, lowered so that Hollywood films, you know, could, could dominate. And John talks about the same way like 9-11 catalyzed like further US invasion of the Middle East. Korea's like politics, economy becoming increasingly neoliberal because of American influence. I'm not saying this is a, they just like rolled over and let America do whatever they want. Obviously it's more complex, but they were significantly influenced by American economic structures. And the growth in the 80s and then the 90s in Korea, the economic growth meant that they were like, this is great, let's keep going. But obviously there was the wealth gap was getting extortionate and like there was so many issues with poverty and like well-being and migrant workers. Just all of like the issues we know about capitalism focused all on this country that had adopted those policies very like recently. So John talks about how Korea's like response to neoliberal policies affecting like mainly the working class and the migrant population of Korea was to be like, you know, it will help is if we have more neoliberal policies. It's interesting because in the film, obviously, we have like the monster and we talk extensively in Godzilla about like what the monster symbolizes and how it's become just a universal metaphor for nuclear warfare it's inseparable like the image of not just Godzilla but kind of like any big monster amphibian dinosaur type thing which Bong like pretty much rejects um as like something that's so static like monster is metaphor for this monster is important to the film he diverts the attention away from the monster and away from the political commentary that could be read in the film to the family and the family dynamics. I mean, I feel like the foundation of understanding this film and a lot of Bong's work, I mean, a lot of like Korean filmmakers in the 90s, this was like the rise of the Korean blockbuster. And they were using a lot of like American filmmaking styles and genres, and obviously the blockbuster as like an American Hollywood sort of invention. They were adopting that and obviously like injecting the cultural specificity of Korea but still like if you're using for example a monster like keiju Japanese genre the monster movie from America if you're using those genres like there's a lot that can be argued about 
how much of like the, the meaning you can control. Um, and I think like what John talks about in that text is how the monster is CGI that was created by like an American company. I mean, it's sort of ironic that an American company created this monster that has such a strong metaphorical tie to warfare because of Godzilla. But then the historical context of like the military and technology used being overlapping quite a lot with filmmaking and like a lot of filmmaking technology was used in military training aside from the obvious like a lot of American films are like military propaganda like it's like also on a technical level yeah CGI was uh it says originally derived from military weapons first adapted from analog anti-aircraft computers and then developed through military funded research and defense contracts there's like so many layers of context that applies to anything i'm not gonna pretend like other things are simple but like the relationship between america and korea their like political history but also their relationship with their film industries is so so complex and bong like he addresses all of that and i think personally successfully does it in a way that is nuanced and interesting but also is sometimes contradictory that's what john is saying is that like the cgi monster being pit against the US government in this film is it's sort of this weird like I think he calls it like an allegory of an allegory like he it's this weird it ends up being like a weird sort of mirror of American influence because it's it's through like the military it's through filmmaking and all of those histories combined and even if Bong is like insisting that maybe that you know that's not the focus of the film that doesn't matter to him I think it just exposes like how much of American filmmaking can be reduced down to kind of like go into this with Jaws, where it was like, what is this film about? Like, what does the shark represent? What does it symbolize? It does sort of, I guess, expose like how much of American mainstream filmmaking and like film studies is obsessed with attaching things to a historical event into creating some kind of like national identity that we see in films there was one part of john's text that i wanted you to talk about and touch on but it's the mention of imf suicides as well like you mentioned it with the neoliberal policies and like economic crisis and then it was like to go almost into overdrive with more neoliberal policies like there are a lot of suicides in the Han River so that the monster's growth may be directly related to the conditions affecting the korean economy and those whose livelihood depends on it. It's a a story we see over and over again with governments and the money makers of a country screwing up, sinking countries into recession, and obviously the people that suffer. The people at the bottom ends of society. I think the, the, the monster being distracting and then like, there's like a lack of transparency and like misinformation that gets spread around and like I was really confused about the timeline of things because like the monsters presumably in the river or they in the ocean where's the sense of urgency to find this fucking thing like regardless of if it has people in its hole or whatever like why are we not taking care of this there's like why are 
ordinary citizens having to like go through the sewer system to find their daughter like i it felt like a problem for everybody that this thing was still on the loose and they just like it's not that they go back to normal right like the agent yellow plan comes up i was like just shoot the bitch i'm really confused like why why we're talking about like other unrelated shit why we're just like waiting while this thing is dormant and like could possibly like come back and snatch folks at any time like in other monster movies there is a sense of urgency where it's like we're going to spend every waking minute we being like the government the military the scientists even occasionally the corporation and like while i know we're focused on the family the development and release of the agent yellow being the only plan is so fucking deranged like it doesn't make any sense but i guess like yeah we could say like oh well these people right they even have time to set up this memorial or people are having time to like be actively grieving and planning before any system of authority has come up with a fucking plan right like this thing is destroying infrastructure if you don't even care about human lives like I'm really confused. But then I guess in my mind, it's like, okay, you needed a justification to use Agent Yellow, right? Like you needed it to do enough damage. You needed, you know, same like 9-11, where it's like, you need a justification to invade. You needed to like twiddle your thumbs for a long time and let people get into a panic or even possibly let people more, more people die, right? Like you're willing to sacrifice human lives to like presumably have a counter argument to these protesters who are coming and saying like you can't just dump this shit all over the city obviously there were people who still came to protest but like i think the average citizen maybe that we don't see who's sitting in their apartment like waiting for them to dump it is like yeah well the government said this is what has to be done so i guess we'll just put a face mask on and hope for the best like it is like confounding to watch it from our perspective as an audience person but like i live in america they do this to us all the fucking time they're always manufacturing consent they're always like trying to manipulate you and make you believe that they are not the source of the danger right they'll create a problem and then create a worse problem to solve that problem like it's typical but this was really well done you're right especially in the in the pacing because like focusing on the one family as opposed to focusing on which i think a lot of monsters movies do like the authority or the scientist or even the person who created the problem is a very different lens the average citizen affected by disaster in this case like ecological disaster but also like an overreaching corporation and overreaching military a like authoritarian and capitalist system converging like all of it hai sung and scott different in an essay i think they put a really like what you're saying zeba about the monster being like like why is no one focusing on like the issue i thought that was interesting and they said something interesting so i'm just going to read it aloud and it was the film satirizes various functions of korean society its government its police its media outlets its corporate run healthcare providers and even its political activists and civil groups all of whom are equally ineffectual untrustworthy and bumbling during a time of crisis dot 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 when one pays closer attention to the underlying messages and themes of wong's film 
both the amphibian monster, the invader, and the American Empire, the official defender, turn out to be Hitchcockian MacGruffins designed to distract the audience's attention from deeper collective anxieties, doubts, and contradictions of a young civil democracy in the shadows of its not-so-distant authoritarian past. And it's kind of what, like what you were saying earlier, Mila, about this idea of distraction more broadly. And like you were kind of saying how we as film viewers will focus on like deconstructing the monster and its meaning. And in this film, they're completely focused on like, there's just a lot of chaos and inaction and inertia about the general issues. And it's all a big kerfuffle and they're not focusing on the deeper anxieties in the film. And then in general, the fact that they have this whole actual deliberate distraction technique conspiracy virus that they then use the media to their advantage and then in the end admit it was like a bunch of misinformation. Why are we not focused on this monster? Like, why is not everyone, you know, coming together? Like, I think they kind of do in American films. It's this sort of like camaraderie. In reality, of course, that's not what happens, but they believe that like, we've created this sort of fictional othered thing that we can destroy together and that will bring us, you know, together. But in this film, there's no sense of that. Even with the family, we are not really given, we're not given a happy ending in the traditional sense. The characters, they struggle throughout the whole movie. There's not much resolution. The lack of transparency and the seemingly slow and ineffectual approach from the government the US and Korea working together to tackle this issue could be like you could supplement any sort of problem in Korea like of recent past whether it's like the fairy tragedy the really recent crowd crush these are issues that were either like because regulations were not met and like corners were cut in order to save money or because people were not listened to when they come to officials with a problem about safety and well-being. So like the monster is just it's just another example of that. Um, and I think it's important that this film is not just about the American government being evil and calculating and negligent. Like it's also about the ways that the Korean government has neglected its people, has buddied up with America in this film in a way you know to manage disaster in a way that absolves them of any responsibility I know that it's this American scientist that instructs the Korean assistant to like dump the the chemicals like it's very clear this is the opening scene there is a sense of like accountability on Korea's part that could speak to you know the last 50 years of their relationship it's like a sense of betrayal from like your own people, your own governments. And like, I think the, the, the scientist who's like, just dump the stuff is very obviously almost like a cartoonish villain. But I think the betrayal comes from just like the sheer apathy of like an obedience of the assistant, which you're right, I think really set up the, I mean, he does protest. He's like, you want me? And he knows it's wrong. He kind of, he's aware that it will have consequences, but just kind of, does it so I, I did kind of get that from it it's not as straightforward as like like a western evil presence that kind of resignation I think they're quite critical of the resignation to like American presence and I know that same critic you cited Hai Sung and, and Scott Defiant De in movie migrations they were talking about like how like at the beginning you can see a lot of like 
fast food items and like plastic cups having like Walt Disney and imagery of that symbolize like American cultural hegemony and, and like a kind of globalization of that kind of Western cultural signifiers. You never see a char- an American character acting in evil alone. It's like even when they're given a lobotomy, it's like with the, you know, Korean authorities. And there's also that like uh, character at the beginning, the American guy at the beginning who like tries to help a bunch of people and then like gets gets eaten. The way he springs to action, I mean, I did find it obviously really funny, like quite comical. Like his character is like, I don't know, he's, he's a stand in for a lot of things. But the way he like looks at them and he's like, you can't, like he's like, I have to save them. And it's like, he he's so convinced of that. My boy, look around. First of all, you cannot you saving one person isn't doing shit. The second thing that gets me is the monster is at that point contained. I think it's like in the back of like a Mack truck, like a big something or other, like a trailer or something. And it's massacring the people in the trailer. And he's like, and it's locked, right? So they can't get out. And he's like, I have to save them. And effectively, by unlocking the trailer, he sets the monster free to kill way more people than it would have had he left it in there. And I understand. It's that he, A, has this belief that he has to, and B, the audacity to think he can, right? Like, he really believes that he is Captain America, which feels infinitely different than the father character, right? Like, doing very dramatic things in an attempt to save one person his daughter or even other people throughout it like or even in like I think Train to Busan is a really good example where like each character was supposed to represent like the choices you would make to save lots of people to save one person to like go out of your way to help your fellow man when your life your own life might be in danger like this did not feel like one of those moments this felt like showing off the impulse comes from a different place right because through the rest of this movie we see also like when the aunt takes out the bow and arrow in like insane circumstances to try and kill the thing, kill the thing in one shot is what you would have to do for that to be like logical. And like all sorts of shit is like going on in the background and she probably could save herself in many instances, but like it takes her a few times to get that heroic one shot. And even then that's not the thing that kills it. The thing that kills it is like they had to double or triple tap to make sure that thing was like done for. So in the end, it was a collective effort. It wasn't one person's heroic effort or sacrifice that like took the thing out. It was like everybody had to put themselves in a circumstance where their lives were definitely in danger because no one was, again, no one was fucking going to do anything. Like, why do we live in a police state if you're not going to fucking do anything, right? If I have to take a fucking bow and arrow and do it myself, it's ridiculous. You had that same, you had that same comment, which makes me laugh when I think about it. When you tie it to um, eco-horror and ecological disaster is I think something that people don't think about. All these things are about to impact huge communities. Like climate change is going to affect our nutrition. It's going to affect our quality of water, our quality of air. And I think we're about to be on the receiving end of a lot of misinformation campaigns about why these things are happening so that we don't blame climate change for them. We're going to blame ourselves. We're going to blame our individual choices. They're going to say, you're not healthy or you didn't take care of X, Y, and Z. I think at this point, people are, are, are catching on to, okay, my individual choices aren't affecting the climate as much as you told me they were. 
But so they've changed tactics and instead they're telling you the results of climate change are actually not about climate change, right? The reason that there are wildfires, the reason that there are hurricanes on the East Coast, the reason that there's a tornado that just swept through the middle of the country that was really terrible, the reason that people are having health issues and the heat wave that happened in the UK, like all of this stuff, people are bending over backwards to say that has nothing to do with climate change and it's something else. And that is the new misinformation because we can't now say, well, it's your fault the climate is bad because people are like, yes, now what? Because they still do not profit from fixing the fucking problem. And they right now don't care because the people who are affected by it the most now are quite poor and quite unable to leave the circumstances that they're in. What Bongino depicts a lot in his films and like we see so strongly in Parasite is this sort of utter nihilism and compliance to the system which we see in the host and like you know the graduate who can't get a job and he's like why the fuck does this country not look after me I like served my time in the military and they can't even give me a job it's a means of control and like Parasite it ends he violently tries to escape that system or even that these systems are built to help you or to benefit you in any way like whether it be a corporation or a government like I think fundamentally people still believe and like how I do how I'm always like so mad when the military is a fuck up in these movies because it is their one job and it's like if people question their ability to do that one job then they have to question the existence of the system entirely thank you for listening to the monstrous feminine be sure to follow us on instagram soundcloud and spotify at the monstrous feminine podcast and on twitter at the monfem pod subscribe to our youtube channel rate and review us on apple Podcasts and spotify and follow us on tiktok at the monstrous feminine pod for podcast clips and more fun brooms up which is out <laughs>